Oh, my name is Annie, by the way. I've been a part of... Hi. Uh, Last November, my husband, Brad, and I began the painful process of a separation. Not a separation from each other, however. We made the difficult decision to leave the church that we had called home for the last eight years. And the term separation is the only thing that I feel truly describes the process that we went through. I was an associate pastor at the time in a position that I loved. My colleagues were awesome. My worship team, my best friends. But as many of us know, churches are made of people and people are messy. And sometimes that mess gets all over each of us. It became incredibly difficult for me and my usual positive attitude to shine through. My pastoral training told me that God takes us through trials, that the storms were a part of growing my faith and building my reliance on him. But my heart, oh, my heart. My heart, all it could do was cry out, why? The anger, the hurt, the tears, and my husband can attest, there were many. But last year, I prayed and prayed that God would change things at the church, that my heart would be changed, that God would use me to create the change, that I could make a difference. But the more I prayed, the more I felt like my prayers weren't being answered. I'm sure no one else has ever felt that way. So November came last year, and my husband and I made the difficult decision to part ways, to separate, to separate from the church that we loved. I kind of felt like it was a cop-out for us. My pastoral training told me that marriage is hard and that through prayer and hard work, things can be reconciled. So why weren't things getting any better? I was praying. I was working hard to make things better. But God doesn't answer prayers the way I expect him to. A good example of that is Brad and I's son, Mason. I longed to be a mom. And I prayed, and I prayed that God would allow us to get pregnant, that we'd have a child finally of our own, and God didn't answer that prayer. But what he did do is out of nowhere, good friends of ours sitting in the back row, come to us one day and say, hey, we have a grandson, and we want to do an open adoption, and would you be willing to do that so we can still be a part of his life? And so... By the grace of God, he made us parents in a way that I never even imagined. I didn't even know to pray that prayer because God works in a way that we don't understand at all. So by the grace of God, we became parents and added a whole new family to ours by adopting Mason. So last October, as I began to think about changing careers and leaving my position as a pastor, I looked at the transition to teaching program to see if I could teach music. 20 years ago, I wanted to teach music, but after two years of trying, I thought, I'm not good enough. I don't know how to play music good enough. I can't sing good enough. I might as well just quit. So I did. (sighs) But my heart always went back to teaching music Granted, I didn't know Jesus back in my college days, so that would have made a huge difference, I'm assuming. For the first time since praying that God would change things at where I'm at, 
I prayed something different. I prayed that God would make things abundantly clear to me and that he would use me whatever way he saw fit, whether that was working at church or working in a ministry somewhere else. If it was time for me to step away, if he wanted to use me in a different way, then I was going to be willing. And when God opens doors, boy, he opens doors. In one month, I was accepted to the transition to teaching program. I passed the competency test in music so that I could teach in public schools. I got an emergency sub-license. I resigned from my position in November and prayed that God would find me a job. And lo and behold, in December, I had three job interviews and was quickly hired to teach elementary school here in Wichita. In the last two months, God has revealed how he was preparing me for this new chapter, even through the storm. He is still using me in ministry, though my ministry is no longer in a church. Like when God answered our prayers to be parents, I sit here in awe looking at how God did indeed answer my prayers for change. It turns out he just needed me to be ready for it. Separation is what I needed so that I could fulfill what God was asking me to do. We all go through storms in this life. God has created this community right here to help each other through those storms. I can probably also speak for my husband when I say that we are so very thankful that God was leading us here before we even knew what his plans were. This community became our church family at a time that my family was hurting. And because of that love and that support that we felt from them, but came from God, we were able to get through and we transitioned from this separation of our church with gratitude. John 16.33 tells us, I've said these things to you so that you will have peace in me. In this world, you will have distress, but be encouraged, for I have conquered the world. God is there, even in the mess, even in the separation, and when we fully trust and rely on God alone, he will see us through. And one of the things we believe at the dwelling is that we need to hear from each other and what's going on in our lives and, and what's God showing you. And, and sometimes that might just be like, you need to stand up and be like, this sucks. Uh, that's okay. That's who we are. We're a family. And so thank you, Annie. At this time, our kids can gather uh, over there on the other side of the curtain if you want to head to Children's Church. And while they do that, we have a brief video uh, to entertain us.
Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendo suggests that we are better together. That playing video games is better in a crowd, apparently. And if you're passing a bomb, you want other people to pass it to, I guess. I'm not sure what the message is there. But we're better together. Nintendo believes that. And I think they're right. We're better together. And I think that we forget that sometimes. Uh, There is this idea that we are individuals, and we've got this. We can do it on our own, and we're strong enough, and it's on me. And and in America, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and individualism is our backbone, and, and it's hogwash is the theological term. We're not individual. I mean, we are individuals, but we are so dependent on each other, we are better together. And that's what we want to look at tonight. We've talked about our, our tagline here at the dwelling is better, or excuse me, is together for the good. And we've said we're together for the good of the kingdom of God. We're together for the good of the city around us. And tonight we're together for the good of each other. Like we're to be good for one another. We're better together. And Nintendo believes it and I believe it, but I think it's easy for us to forget it. Do you remember the old uh, finger rhyme that you did when you were a kid? This is the church. This is the steeple. You open the door. Where are all the people? But across the street, there is a bar. Open it up, and there they are. No? Does anybody do that? (laughs) I grew up in New Jersey. (laughs) We were a little different. There they are. The reality of the church, North America, though is that we don't get together like we used to. So in 1948, I believe it was, the, the uh, number of people that uh, claimed that they were Protestant, which uh, in the Church of Nazarene were kind of Protestant, but not really. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But we probably would be lumped in with that category. It was 68%. The highest we ever got was 1956, 71%. In 2016, we've gone from 71% to 30 Now, Protestants, not the only Christian church. There are Catholic churches and Orthodox churches, but that's a pretty big drop off. And the other churches that are also Christian didn't grow to make up for that. In fact, they're in decline as well. Um, in, in, in most people, if you poll people, 40% of North Americans will tell you that they go to church regularly. But if you actually look at who's going to church in a given week, it's 17.7% of our country, where 90% of people say they believe in God, and 17.7% attend church regularly. And that is all kinds of churches, not just evangelical Christian churches. 17.7. And so then they broadened it, and they asked people, what do you mean by regular? And so if you expand it to mean regular means three out of every eight, which doesn't seem very regular. In fact, my teachers did not pass me when I got three out of eight in school. But three out of eight, it only goes up to 25%. So people are just not gathering. And part of the issue is, church, we've missed the point sometimes. But we also have just forgotten that we actually need each other, that we depend on one another, and we should gather together. And, and so churches are wrestling with, what do we do in the face of this? Like, the church is in decline, and we don't matter anymore, and there's the rise of the nuns, not the nuns that are Catholic sisters, but the nuns that are zero. They have no religious affiliation. They're not interested in it. And and so we're like, we wrestle with, what do we do? And maybe if I buy skinny jeans, then people will come and that will not work. (laughs) Most of my jeans are skinny jeans around Thanksgiving, Christmas time. Anyway, 
Um, but do we need to put a Starbucks in? And if we get a smoke machine and laser lights, like will the people come? And, and so we wrestle with all these things. And I think there's times and places to ask questions about what should the church look like and how do we, how do we attract people from time to time. But I think far more important than how do we get people to come here, the question for us is how do we be faithful? Because our goal at the dwelling is not to build a big church. Our goal here is to be faithful to the God who has called us. And if we're faithful God followers, then God will do what he pleases. And if we become a little bit bigger, then great. And if we stay, this is okay. we're good. This is good. We can know everybody's name at a church this size. I like that. Because we're not interested in bigger and better, and we don't need to have the best. And we got to be faithful. And that might mean we have an impact on the community. And, and it might mean that some of those people see grace at work in their lives, and they might not ever gather with us. And that's okay. But for those of us who call this place home and who show up here on Sunday nights in our community groups, being faithful is the answer. Not stroopwaffles, though. Again, I think I bring that up every time I preach. I love the stroopwaffles. <laughs> but if people come for stroopwaffles, that's fantastic. But if, if, if we don't realize that we gather not because of stroopwaffles, not because of skinny jeans, or not because the music's great, or because the preaching's good on weeks when I'm not preaching, or... We gather because God has asked us to, and we gather because we need each other. We gather to worship. We gather to give praise. It's not, it's not about us. And that's a hard truth to hear in our culture today, because it's all about us. You have it your way. You do it what you want and when you want. And there was a video I was going to show, but we we're going to be short on time. John Christ does this whole thing on reality church, virtual reality church. And, and you put on the goggles and you only have to leave your bed and you can choose the length of sermon and how much guilt and shame you want and what kind of music you like. And, and if you want skinny jeans or you want suit and tie and, and it's just you, you, it's yours. You just make it up. But that is not the church. It's not the church. This is the church. Folks who gather together and try and figure it out together and who worship God together despite sometimes our messes and despite sometimes our ununderstanding. And, and what this text we're going to look at tonight, it lays out, this is, this is how we are to be faithful as the church. If we're going to be together for the good of each other, Hebrews chapter 10 lays out some just basic truths for us. And so if you would, let's read this together. Can we do that? Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, because the one who made the promises is reliable. Let's also think about how to motivate each other to show love and to do good works. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other especially as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. What I love about that passage is that they're already dealing with people not showing up. <laughs> the, the scriptures have not even been finalized. And they're writing and saying, people are already in the habit of not showing up. Because it's easy for us to forget and to fall out of practice is it important to gather? Do I have to go? Or I don't really feel like... Anybody, have you ever woken up and been like, I don't really feel like gathering for church today? Anybody? Show of hands. Anybody ever been the pastor of the church and had that same feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it happens. 
There's times when it's just easier to stay home or, or we're busy or we're sick or we have a long to-do list or people drive us crazy. And, and so sometimes I think we wrestle with, is it worth it? And do I need to? And, and do I have to? But I think there's good reason to show up beyond the fact that the scripture says to. So here God says through scripture, gather together. We know that we are the church. We don't go to church. Um, we're to gather. The church means the called out ones, the gathered ones. Like that's the whole purpose. So we're, we try to be careful with our language. We call this a worship gathering, not a worship service. Because what happens is a worship service means you're going to show up and get served. You, we show up and we serve God and we serve each other. So this is a worship gathering where we gather together to offer our worship and offer our services to God. But what happens too often in our churches is we show up and we expect someone to feed us, to make us feel God's presence. We expect someone to serve us. We expect someone to check all the boxes. And, and if it doesn't work out, well, then we'll find another place. One of my favorite things to hear as a pastor is, well, we're just not being fed here. I don't feed my children. <laughs> they feed themselves. I mean, I'll cook the meal sometimes, and I'll put it on the table, and we'll lay the table out, but it's there. I, well, now, sometimes our five-year-old likes to be spoon-fed still, but we have issues. But at some point, church, we have to decide that we're going to eat ourselves, Right? <laughs> And what has happened is we have considered the gathered church as an optional because we say things like, well, I don't have to, be a, to go to church to be a Christian. And I would say that's accurate. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But being a Christian should make you go to church. Those are two different things, right? Like I grew up in a culture and I've pastored in a culture where if you did not show up at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, prayer meeting on Friday night, and the cleaning day on Saturday, then you weren't really a good Christian. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. Like you knew who was holy because they came to another service on the same day. And it becomes a legalistic who's in, who's out, you're not good enough. And that, I, we have, I have no desire for that. But church is not optional. It's essential. The gathered church is how we have scripture. It's how the faith has been passed down from person and person and generation and generation. It's how it's gone around the world. It's because people have gathered and they've learned together and worshiped together and prayed together and sought God together. And so if we decide suddenly it's no longer essential, then what's going to happen is, yeah, maybe I'm still a Christian, but my kids won't be. My grandkids certainly won't be. And, and the gospel message will fade away because ah, it's not really that important. What's happened is we treat the, the gathered church as an accessory rather than a necessity. We treat it like jewelry rather than pants. Like if you forget your jewelry, you might notice it throughout the day, but it's not a big deal. But if you forget your pants, you're going to notice, especially in the Kansas wind. You're like, ooh, it's a little nippy. The gospel, the, the gathered church is pants. You better wear them. People are going to stare. Okay, a better example might be uh, we treat church, the gathered church, as, as a diet plan rather than a meal, rather than food itself. And we expect it to work for us. And we show up when we got to cut weight. This is how I diet. Like, oh, I got a doctor's appointment next week. Okay, time to diet, right? And if it doesn't work, or if it's too hard, or if it's not fun, then I'm out. And that's what we do with the gathered church. 
I want results. I want it to happen fast. I want it to work now on my time. I still want to be able to eat sugar and carbs and, and all the good things, and I want to lose 15 pounds a day, right? And we do it with church. I want to show up when I want to. I'll come about an hour a month, and I want you to fix all my problems, make my kids behave, and be rich. What? <laughs> no, that's not how it works. The church is, is, is a meal. It's food that sustains us. And sometimes, hopefully, we show up and we're like, man, that was good. But if, you, if your cooking's anything like my cooking, sometimes we eat and we're like, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> because some weeks aren't going to be the greatest weeks. Some weeks are going to be like, okay, well, well. but we got to eat. And so we show up and we eat and we eat. And there are times, you can skip a meal or two and survive, apparently. <laughs> I can't. But I've heard people that do. At our house, we get cranky. <laughs> it's not safe. And it's the same with church. I th- you can, we can miss from time to time and be okay, but we've got to eat. And we've got to show up and we've got to do it again and again and again because it sustains us. It's food for our souls, for our bodies. It, it keeps us moving forward because in our culture, it is so easy to forget there's so many competing voices telling us who we are and, and what, what's important and how we should be spending our time and our money. And, and sometimes they're convincing and sometimes those voices sound good and sometimes those voices are convincing and they sound horrible and they beat us down. And, and so we, we gather and we remember over and over again, you are beloved, you're chosen, you're forgiven, you've been given grace. And you are sent, and we do it over and over and over again until we stop forgetting, and we will never stop forgetting until Christ comes again. That's why we participate in communion every week, every week, to remember that this is who our God is, and this is what our God calls us to, because I'm forgetful. And by the time Tuesday comes around, sometimes I'm struggling to do things the way Jesus would ask me to do them. And so I got to eat, and so we gather, and we come week after week, and Sunday after Sunday, and we gather around the table and we gather with each other because you and I need each other. We need people to welcome us and make us feel important and loved, and we need people who we can uh, ask questions to, and we need people that we can be answers to questions for. I mean, that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not just those who have it figured out, but it's supposed to be messy. And, and, and the best kind of churches have people who don't even, aren't sure what they believe. Like, I'm not sure what I believe, but you people are all right. Like, that's what I want for the dwelling. Like, as we're dreaming, what kind of church could the church be? I want to be the kind of church where people, they want to show up. Because, Stroopwafels, but also because you people are kind and loving and welcoming, and you don't judge me, and you don't hate me, and you don't exclude me, and you don't make me feel weird because I ask bad questions, or, man, I blew it big time this week, and, no, yeah, us too, us too, and so if we look through this text, it, it reminds, this is a picture of who we should be as the faithful church that gathers to worship says this in verse 23, we hold on to the confession of our hope. We have hope. In the context here, it's that Jesus has made a way. Jesus has, has given us a access to God, that God used to be, we used to be separate from God because of our sin, and through Jesus' death on the cross, he has, he has bridged that divide, and we have access to God. 
we can come before God and we can confess our sins and we can ask for help and we can ask for wisdom and we can ask for presence and love and we have access to God and that's our hope, that we are not alone, that God is with us. And so we're going to hold on to the confession. We confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And we have hope. Our world is desperate for hope. If we could be hopeful people, I think we'd make a difference in the world around us because it is dark and it is hard and it is scary and overwhelming. So we hold on to the confession of hope. Then verse 24 says, let us consider each other. Consider each other. It means think about one another and think about how we depend on one another. See, so often it's all about me and what's in it for me. And, and am I, do they sing the music that I like and do they wear the clothes that I like or do they whatever? Or I want to be done by sick, oh, we better hurry. Uh, that's what I want. And I got my ideas and my perspectives and my priorities and it is not about you. Consider each other. The scriptures are full of commands, the one another's. There's over 50 of them. Love one another, care for one another, carry each other's burdens. Paul writes in Philippians, don't look out for your own interests, but for the interests of each other. Man, isn't that a fascinating concept? I don't suggest we try it. (laughs) It's so much easier to just look out for my own interests and what I want and what I need and what's important for me. But that is not the faithful church. The faithful church says, man, there are some people here who need me to serve, who need me to hold my mouth shut sometimes, who need me at times to speak up, who need me to to make coffee, who need me to wear skinny jeans. No, they do not need skinny jeans. I put them on underneath these ones. (laughs) Helps me preach faster. Like, get it over with. (laughs) Consider each other. I just think that's a revolutionary concept that if we could embody it, we would be different than the rest of the world. Because the world is so wrapped up in themselves that we can be countercultural, live in a different style just by considering one another first. And when you're, when you're sitting around on four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, you're like, I don't know. Consider the fact that somebody's going to be looking for you. That, that when you walk in, some, maybe it's your smile or maybe it's your hug or maybe it's your warmth and that's exactly what that person needed. Consider each other. Or that there might be a guest who walks in for the very first time hoping to meet a kind person. And so on that week, we hope Donnie's gone. But I'm just kidding, Donnie. Consid- yeah, I was rough. I'm sorry. That was mean. Consider each other. Consider. Think about. Consider each other for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. To stir up good works in each other. To, to realize that, man, I'm not alone that these people have got it. They're doing good stuff. And I want, there are people in this room who make me want to be a better person. Cheryl's one of them. When she talks about her work at the Interfaith Housing Shelter, I'm like, man, I want to, like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be like Cheryl. And so she stirs up good works in me. That's what we're supposed to, like, not that we all have it figured out. Some of you are good at failing. And I'm like, man, I want to fail like them. Because they're humble and they can admit it and they can confess. We need you, you. We stir up good works and love in each other. He says, encourage one another. Man, we could use some encouragement, couldn't we? Just 
there, it's so hard sometimes, and sometimes we feel defeated, and I know that we've walked through hard stuff this week, and it gets overwhelming and discouraging, and so if this would be a place, and we would send people out to be encouragements in the world, rather than Debbie Downers and, and holier-than-thous and judgmental people, but to be encouragers who lift people up. So we hold on to the confession. We consider each other. We, we stir up and spark good deeds and we encourage one another. To me, that's, well, that's how we grow a church. And we might not grow huge in numerics, but we'll grow together. And the image that I want to leave you with is, is the redwood forests of the Pacific Northwest. You know what I'm talking about? Those big, huge, giant trees, some of them 200 or 2,000 years old. And, and their root system is incredibly shallow. And not that we should be a shallow people, But the reason they can stand for so long is because their roots are intertwined with the trees that are around them. And they stretch out for hundreds and hundreds of feet. And they're wrapped so tightly in with each other that when the wind blows and the storms come, that they hold strong together. That's the church. Because those winds are going to come and the storms are going to come. And there's going to be times when it's hard and we want to quit. But what we are so wrapped up in each other and invested in one another because we gather, we participate, we serve, we love, we buy into this thing. That we can withstand it because we are locked into these people who gather here with us. And then we lock in with other churches and we lock in with other. But we are, in, we are better together. You are not alone. You do not have to do this by yourself. I need this. I need the rhythm of corporate worship. I need the gathering. I need the the songs. I need the communion. I I need this. This keeps me going. I hear one pastor use, he he says, when we do this, we're breathed in. And then we're breathed out into the world. And you can hold your breath for a while, but you, but you got to breathe out. So church, it's not just about us, but it's about us. And so we're breathed out, but then we also got to breathe back in. Because you can live for a while out there doing good works, but you got to come and be replenished and refreshed and renewed. And the church is, is such a, when, when we do this, what the writer of Hebrews lays out for us, that we will find that renewal and that refreshing, not because we do it perfectly, not because we never drive each other crazy. Believe me, I know the church is flawed. We're broken. There are times when we got to walk away. There are times when the church has been dead, flat, wrong. We're not perfect. But if all of us together live this out, we'll be well on our way to being faithful. And our goal is to be a faithful church. So don't buy in to the individualistic lie. Don't buy into consumerism. It's not about you. It's about God, and then it's about us. Don't buy into, oh, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious, malarkey. Because there's lots of times I'm religious but I'm not spiritual. I got to have this stuff. I got to have the gathering. I got to have you all. So thanks for being here. Not because you're perfect, but because I need to know I'm not alone. Because I need to know that God's at work because I need to know that together there's people in this community who are doing the best they can to be faithful, who the God who is faithful to us. He says, we hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because the one who made the promises is reliable. The God who's called us is with us. We're not left alone.
God, by his Holy Spirit, has come and he dwells among us and lives within us and sends us out. And so we do this. We come alongside each other the way that God has come alongside us. And so today, as we gather around the table, we're going to do it a little bit differently than we have done. But as a picture of what it means to be the church, to be the body, to be in this together, I'd like us to serve one another. So as you come, I'd like you to come and and I'll serve whoever's first. And I'll hand you the, the, the bread and I'll say, this is the body of Christ, which is given for you. And you take a piece and you dip it in the cup. I'll say, this is the blood of Christ, which is shed for you. And you take and eat. And then I'm going to hand you the plate and the cup. And I'd like you to turn around. I'd like you to serve the next person behind you. Because we are in this together. And without you, we wouldn't be us. And so let's come to the table together. Lord, I thank you for your love and for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for the church, that this was your idea. This was your plan to gather us up so that we can be encouraged and reminded, so that at times we can be challenged and held accountable, so that we can find people to walk with, so that we can find others who can push us further, who can, who can pull out the best in us, who can say to us that from time to time, brother, sister, you need to stop. God, would you help us as we plant this church, as we launch this thing called the dwelling, to be committed to your gathered church to be committed to these people, to be committed to your bride. God, help us to consider each other and to spark good deeds, good works in each other. God, help us to be encouragement to one another. Help us to hold on without wavering to the hope that we confess because you who've made the promises are reliable. God, help us not neglect the gathering together. To make it a priority, a thing that we need, a meal that we have to come and eat to sustain us throughout the week. God, as we come to these elements, I ask that they would be more than just a piece of bread and a sip of juice, but that they would become emblems and representations and real manifestations of your grace in our lives, that we understand there's a God who has paved the way who has come and given us access to all your glorious riches and power and wisdom, forgiveness. God, may we know that you are for us, that you love us, and that you have gifted us this thing called the church for our own good and for our own benefit. God, help us to be faithful people. And all we say and all we do as individuals and as a community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Church of the Nazarene, which we are a part of, we practice open communion. Everyone who can say that they are hungry for the grace of God is welcome to come and participate. We don't put any restrictions on that. We just want you to to know you need Jesus. And tonight I'd like to add and to know you need the church because it's Christ's church. So we invite you to come and We invite you to receive, and then on your way back, we invite you as an act of thanksgiving to place your tithes and offerings in one of the baskets on the sides. As a part of belonging to the church, we think it's important to give and be generous in our our finances. As one way of saying that we're all in on this thing that God has called us to, and our money is not our God, (laughs) 
And so we worship by giving. And then we serve as a church by being able to be generous with our finances. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had blessed it, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. May it preserve you blameless into everlasting life. So we take and we eat, and we remember what Christ has done. We take and we eat, and and we allow his grace to minister to us. We take and we eat, and we do so until the coming of Christ, proclaiming that he is coming again, and that he is with us now. So as Kristen sings, I invite you to come, take your bread, dip it in the cup, eat, and then serve the person behind you. Come as you are ready. You can stand with us, please.